DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is time now to talk with Sam Smith. You can read his stuff online, nba.com slash bulls. I've been going through the whole archive. He's got tons of stuff about the bulls and has written extensively about not just the last dance, but really the whole era. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Uh, Sure. Good to talk to you. Although although I, I know what you're talking about, and those are tough times for Salt Lake City. Yeah, they were. It's, uh, you know, it's <laughs> show business, right? <laughs> there's got to be a winner and there's got to be a loser. And you got to you got to you got to risk it for the biscuit and get in there and uh, get your heart broken sometimes. I'm curious because this story overlaps with Salt Lake so many times. And when I was reading through your online archive of all the stories, uh, you tell one story. It's a great story, actually, about how the year Jordan is drafted they send a 23-year-old guy from the ticket office to actually execute the draft, right? Most teams are sending GMs and coaches in there. And you say right. in there that although the Bulls wanted Jordan, that there was pressure from the outside to draft other people, including Mel Turpin, Dinner Bell Mel, who famously played for the Jazz. Was there any thought the Bulls might crack under the pressure, or were they 100% going to take Jordan if he was available? Uh, yeah, they, I mean, to Rod Thorne's credit, he made some he, he made some <laughs> poor draft choices before that, um, but he but he was uh, at that point, um, you know, committed to uh, selecting Jordan. Now, although it was, you know, you got to consider the times. You know, the notion back then was that you, you, you know you're never going to win a title uh, led by a shooting guard, and so Rod, you know, Rod's point in, in that respect was well. We're not drafting Michael Jordan to be the focus or the center of the team. You know, we're drafting him to be just a good shooting guard, and we know we have other needs and that kind of thing. But you know, people in, in, in this era really won't. I mean, you, you, you know, if you look at the, at the history of the NBA, it was always built around great centers. You know, from Russell, Wilt, uh, Kareem on down, and in, in, in that era too. You know, you, 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 top teams you had. You know, Parrish with the Celtics, you had Kareem with the Lakers, you had Moses, you know, the Sixers can't win with Dr. J uh, and all the great team, the guys they had. They had, uh, you know, McGinnis and Dawkins, Doug Collins was an all-star. They still can't win until they get Moses. So there was a lot of sentiment in the Chicago community. Of you got to have a big man. And, you know, Turpin, I think he went six in that draft. He, he went pretty much after yeah. I think it was Sam Perkins, Barkley, and Turpin. You know, and so there was there was sentiment for both Perkins and uh, 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 Turpin in, in you know in that in that draft among the community. I know I know the Bulls were getting a lot of fan advice, as it were. Uh, so it wasn't really universal at the time that oh wow we fell into Jordan and now we're on the way. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. Yeah. So because you were there for the whole ride. And because whether you're writing and you're limited for space back in the newspaper days, not so much online now, or you're limited for time, because even with a 10-hour documentary, the folks who have done this said, and they wish they have more stories they couldn't tell. Of all the stories you know, what are some of the stories that you wish had been in the documentary that, the, that everyone around the country could have uh, picked up on? Yeah, I think, I think the documentary you know, did a good, idea, a, good, a good job of covering you know, the, the basic, you know, all the questions that had to be asked kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, uh, like I, I, I said, is it reminds me a little bit in, in cases of, 
you know, you see a movie come on on, uh, on TV or a movie, and they'll say, well, based based on a true story or based on actual events. <laughs> and, you know, it was a lot of that. You know, you know but, it, but it was supposed to be that. And, I mean, there's some criticism that, um, well, it's not a, a pure documentary of this and that. It's Michael Jordan. You know, it's Michael Jordan's hagiography, and it is. And that's what it's supposed to be. And, and, and that's, I, think, I think that's the point of, what's made it so special with so many people is that, you know, here's this guy, this, you know, sort of uh, mythical figure almost, um, who's really been a recluse for the last, you know, you know 20 years or so. Uh, maybe even more than that, you know, he was in, in basketball, you know, once he came back in the mid-90s. His celebrity was so huge, you know, that you really never got to see uh, – you know, him relaxed or how he actually was. And, you know, so this was sort of a, uh, revealing about that. I mean, there are so many things that, that occur over the, you know, that you, that, 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 that you're not going to include. And if I, you know, if I gave it a, a lot of thought, uh, you, you know, you would cut, you would come up with, well, that would be, that would be, a, you know, a fun behind the scenes compared to this, but you know what they had, I think the basis of it was they had uh, an, an, a, a, a NBA uh, entertainment crew was embedded that season. Actually, I thought there would be more stuff from that um, than there was. Yeah, I think the, the the bulk of the documentary was a lot of interviews, and especially the interviews with Jordan, which I, you know, which I think, you know, for the most part, people uh, enjoyed the most. Um, but that crew was around that whole season, so you know, it was ninety-seven, ninety-eight. It was an element of the uh, of behind the scenes where, you know, if you went back and it throughout the whole decade, you know, you could imagine how many, you know, great or unusual or uh, you know appealing scenes would be, be you know behind the you know, behind the curtain. But that's sort of what I tried to do, sort of innocently. You know, when I wrote this book in the early nineties, uh, the Jordan Rules. Uh, before the Bulls had won anything, it was just sort of a, you know, sort of an innocent, an innocent attempt to peel back the curtain a little bit for fans to say, hey, this, you know, this is what it's like kind of go through a season with a team. Um, and then it, it turned out I picked the season where they went and won. But at a time where, you know, the notion, it was like the Jazz, you know, people weren't expecting the Bulls to win in the late 80s because they couldn't get you know, they couldn't get past the Pistons, much like, you know, the Jazz had so many years they couldn't get past the Lakers. And, you know, until you actually get there, no one really thinks you can. So as you uh, as you watch all of this unfold, I think the one of the things that really stayed with people in this was iPad Mike, is how I've seen it referred to on social media. When they hand him the iPad to show him yeah. something that somebody else said, is that a side of Jordan that you saw very often covering the team? iPad, Mike. Well, of course, we didn't know what an iPad sure, was. Sure, right. Yes. Then, or, 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 or or iPhone or, or any of those things. You know what? What's, what struck me about that? Yes, it was definitely a side of him in the sense, you know, a big side of him was at the point, and and that's sort of how you had fun with him and how he sort of divided, you know, sort of the group into the tough guys and not nah, you got a, you had a fence back at him uh, verbally, not so much always physically all the time, even though he had a couple of these incidents with, you know, Steve Kerr, or Will Purdue. He wasn't a fighter, 
particularly you saw, there was that one thing they showed with Reggie Miller where they were sort of slapping at each other. <laughs> it was, was, but, you know, well, we don't encourage fighting other than uh, since the Pistons uh, uh, moved up the sea. Um, but, yeah, it was, it, 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 and I think that, that gave, uh, you know, the greatest, some of the greatest insights in the documentary to Jordan, you know, that whatever you challenged him about, I mean, really, it, it's probably a, a psychological weakness that he, that he was unable to accept anybody saying anybody else could do anything better. You know, it was like the, you know, the thing with Carl Malone, where he said, well, I was motivated because Carl Malone was the MVP. Well, the MVP doesn't mean the best player in the league. The MVP means, you know, the most valuable to your team at that time. And, you know, there's no reason to, to not think at that time Carl Malone could have been more valuable to the Jazz than even Michael Jordan was to the Bulls. But, you know, this notion or, you know, like with Clyde Drexler, how dare they say Clyde Drexler is as good as me? <laughs> you know, those sort of things were, you know, I mean, in some sense, it's kind of a weakness. It's like, hey, get over yourself a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's possible that somebody else one day could have done something better than you. So, but, but that was the nature of Jordan. It, was, I, I, it wasn't so much to me that, you know, he believed that all the time. Is that 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 sort of was his competitive nature? You know, the challenge, the drive him. You know, you know, he lost plenty. He missed a lot of a lot of big shots. I mean, anything else he did, you know, golf or whatever. You know, even they showed you pitching quarters he lost. You know, so he'd lose You know, plenty of stuff. But it's also the thing I admired about him in a lot of respects because, you know, he he was willing to take the challenge and everything. Like you see LeBron, you know, he won't. You know, the, the, and a lot of players in this year, Kevin Durant, uh, you know, they don't go in the contest. They won't go in a dunk contest. So there's three point at the all-star game, which are just for entertainment. It's not an ultimate statement that, okay, well, you, you're not the best dunker ever or something. You know, it's just taking a chance and challenging yourself against the others. And Jordan always did that. He wasn't a good shooter, but he went in the three-point contest, and he got the lowest score in the history of the contest. You know, but it's not like it affected his legacy, but – you know, you see players in this era are afraid to, a lot of them, not all of them, but you know, a lot of them are afraid to fail uh, or afraid to, you know, face humiliation or question. He never was, you know. Uh, and I think probably that comes out a little more that, you know, anybody dare challenge him in anything. And now, you know, of course, at his age, what is it, whatever, what 63, so 57, is he 57? I think, you know, at, at his age, it's easy. You know, we all look back and we go, we walk by the park and go, oh, yeah, I could have beaten that kid, you know, when I was little. So, you know, he still kind of lives that way. Sam Smith joining us. He's covered the Bulls for years, covered uh, Jordan's incredible run. And I'm curious – uh, we saw him. Uh, we saw him go after some awfully good players, from Isaiah to Drexler uh, to Peyton. Of all the players of that era, who do you really think he respected the most? I mean, he thought he was the best. Did he think there was a clear-cut number two, someone who came closest to challenging the throne? I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think he really did. Um, you know, because you know, I mean, the Pistons. And I think that's why you see a lot of resentment toward the Pistons, not only because, uh, you know, however they, you know, they, they acted, you know, the, the tough play, the bad boy stuff. If they beat them, you know, they beat them so many times. I mean, Isaiah, you know, beat him in the playoffs way more than Jordan ever beat Isaiah in the playoffs. And I don't think anyone else could ever, you know, could say that. And of course, once Jordan started winning, 
you know, they, he, you know, he won every time he got to the finals. You know, but building up those years, he liked Bird. You know, he never had issues with Bird. He, and and you know, Bird, I mean, wasn't an athletic kind of guy. He he resented Magic early on, and they, they ended up becoming friends. Um, but you know, those two, while they were great winners, they 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 weren't great athletes, and you know, he couldn't compare. I mean, I mean, you know, if they went one-on-one on the court, you know, maybe the other players. And that was the criticism of Michael in that era, you know, that you're not as good as, as Bird and Magic because they make others better and they're better teammates. Um, but, but, you know, he didn't he, – he, he, he wasn't so much uh, – I mean, he was, maybe say, jealous, you know, of Magic's success or just that's a, that's a Bird. He never had it. And he saw him do the commercials with Bird. He never did the commercials with anybody else. You know, he did that. I don't know if you remember, you're old enough, you remember the famous where they were taking shots all yeah. over the gym kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, great commercial years ago. Uh, but Isaiah really, Isaiah was great. I mean, Isaiah, as a player, guys, people people don't credit in a lot of respects. And you, you guys in Utah know Isaiah from the Carl Malone shot. Yeah. The guy really, really killed him almost. I mean, he gave him 40 stitches or something. Uh, you know, when Isaiah used to go after Stockton so much. Um but I think that it wasn't so much he, – he didn't feel athletically uh, that there was anyone who could challenge him that way. But, uh, but he yeah, – and I think you see the resentment still come out. After all these years, he's still angry with Isaiah. And because Isaiah, you know, made him look bad, made his team look bad in several playoffs. And Isaiah is a Chicago native. And, uh, you know, and so, so in a sense, you could say that's the, the one guy who really got under his skin. So uh, a lot of this has uh, brought people back to addressing uh, Jordan versus LeBron. Uh, as someone who saw Jordan all the way through his career, do you come down on the side of Jordan, or do you think LeBron's actually gotten to GOAT status? No, no. Of course. I mean, just what I just said, you know. Yeah. I mean, you disqualify yourself. LeBron, I mean, LeBron's a great player. I mean, it pains me to criticize LeBron in any way. I mean, he's been a great ambassador of the league. I, I I I like him. I don't know him well, you know, but I like him personally. I like what he stands for. Uh, I will, you know, I, I think he, his play has been fabulous. But, but there's really no comparison as far as as a player. I mean, you know, Le, uh, LeBron. I mean, he sort of disqualified himself from some of the things that happened. You know, he he lost in the finals to like the worst champion ever, the you know, Dallas Dallas team that won in 2011. Look at that roster. It's really almost unbelievable that that team was a champion. Like Dirk and a bunch of washed-up guys, you know, Jason Kidd. And, I mean, they were, I think they were starting to Sean Stevenson. They had this miserable team. Um, and then, you know, he's given up. He's, he gives up on games sometimes. And I remember in the, what was it, the 2010 when they lost to Boston and I think it was the, it was the conference finals. Before he went to Miami, he kind of gave up on some games there. And it's not a human emotion, you know, to be so discouraged and disheartened, um, you know, that you sort of walk away from it. Um, and then, you know, Le- Le- LeBron was in the finals nine times, and he lost six of them. <laughs> so the only ones who lost that level, and they're great players, is Weston Taylor. But, you know, but they're not top five for that reason. <laughs> you know, you can't go to the ultimate game and lose it all the time and then be considered the greatest player ever. So, you know, LeBron's got great longevity. He's going to probably, you know, we get back to basketball on some 
regular level. He's probably going to pass Kareem and be the all-time leading scorer of all time. Um, and he's certainly one of the great players, but I, I don't think he can even compare him to Jordan, you know, with the way Jordan dominated his year and dominated teams and dominated players. I mean, every time he went to the finals, he was the MVP. He's the best player on the floor, and I don't think you could ever say that about LeBron. See, you can't be the best player of all time if you were so often not the best player in the game. Sam Smith joining us, and Sam, you mentioned earlier, you know, so much of the Jordan story brings so much uh, pain to Jazz fans, and part of the Jordan story is Phil Jackson. Of course, Phil doubled back with the Lakers and beat the Jazz in the playoffs three times during the Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams era here, and I was really struck watching the last dance. Doug Collins tiptoed up to, uh, I got stabbed in the back and pushed out, but he didn't, he didn't say it, but he gets kind of say he saw it coming. Was there at any point a chance as that was happening that Phil's career wasn't going to get this incredible launching pad and take off the way it did? Was it kind of inevitable the way Phil was embracing the triangle and text that he was going to be the head coach one day? What played out there? Because it just felt like they addressed it and yet they left some stuff unspoken. Yeah, well, I think there's no question. (laughs) I think Doug more than tiptoed. I think they did, you know, pretty clear without saying it that. You know, he felt he was undermined there. And I, I don't think that's the case, but it's certainly understandable, you know, that you would feel that way. You know, Phil was hired by Krause, by the general manager, not by Doug, to be on his staff, which is not that usual. You know, but Tex was hired by Krause, too. You know, Doug only got the hire. Of course, you know, there wasn't big staffs back then. Um, you know, having, having three assistants, what they did was kind of a lot to that era. You know, they were sort of ahead of the curve a little bit. Um but, no, there was no inevitability that way. And, 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 you know, and Phil didn't come. He was hired, and, and that was sort of the genesis of uh, Krause's bitter feelings, which were uh, inappropriate in a sense. You know, you, you can't tell someone not to feel bad. But he felt he saved Phil from the CBA, and, and Phil wasn't going to get a job in the NBA. Phil was viewed as, a, you know, as, a, a, as an erratic kind of character. He, He'd written a book in the 70s with the Knicks, Maverick, where he talked about drug use and things like that. And, you know, it was viewed a little out of the conservative mainstream of the NBA, uh, executive coaching, you know, order at that time. And, 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 and you know, Phil acknowledged that. You know, Krause, Krause did bring him and give an opportunity when he might not have otherwise got one. But, you know, Krause's view later, you know, for the next rest of your life is that you owe him. <laughs> You got to be like a subject, and you know Phil, and then he did. He paid him back. He knew he did his job. He won titles, but Phil wasn't this triangle advocate when he came to the Bulls as an assistant for two years under Doug. Uh, but the triangle is very similar to a lot of the tenants that Phil played under Red Holtzman with. So it was sort of the philosophy of it, of you know spacing on the floor, movement, ball movement, man movement. You know, basically a lot of basic basketball to it. It's just not the isolation that you see a lot uh, in the NBA over the years. Um, you know, it's, it's just more of a fundamental of a team game. But even on the staff, and I remember talking to Phil about it and even helping him. I, I, knew, I knew some owners and helped him arrange some interviews. But he had interviewed when he was on the staff of the Bulls. Uh, he interviewed for some other job. And, and he was very excited about the possibility of getting the head coaching job of the expansion Minnesota Timberwolves. And he and Bill Musselman were up for that, and Musselman got the job. 
You know, so if Phil had gotten that job, which he was trying desperately to get, because he, he, he wasn't thinking he was going to inevitably face, replace Doug Collins and be the Bulls coach, life is very different. Well, Phil doesn't have, you know, 11 titles or whatever he's got. He's not, you know, if you start with an expansion team and take all those losses for a couple of years, I'm pretty sure he'd have been out of coaching, you know, within four or five years and out of the NBA. So, you know, but for all of us, it's, it's the right time. You know, you've got to be at the right time in the right place. Um, I happen to be fortunate enough in, you know, in my career as a sports writer, you know, when I was in sports to have showed up and Michael Jordan showed up with the Chicago Bulls. You know, if I was in Sacramento, I probably would enjoy the winners more, but I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't be on your show. <laughs> and so, you know, things in life are a lot of good fortune more than, uh, you know, personal excellence being at the right place at the right time and, and Phil was but then you've got then you've got to be somebody to, pr- to prove and produce and I think what the documentary showed more as much as anything is how great a coach Phil really was in dealing with that incredible group of diverse personalities and Michael Jordan and Rodman and Pippen and all the things and keeping it together that that it's just not rolling the ball out when you got great players it's a lot more than that and I think that's what you know, that what Phil was, but you can't show that if you don't have the good players. Well, timing is everything. There's no doubt about that. And, Sam, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for coming on the air and uh, talking a little bit about Jordan and the Bulls. All right. Good to talk to you.